Hey everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Are the tech giants teetering? Hi, everyone. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Jeremy Swartz, Global Chief Investment Officer at Wisdom Tree. Hi, Jeremy. How are you? Thanks for having me, Maggie. Good to be with you. Yeah, great to have you back. So pretty quiet trading day today. Stocks and bonds traded in a really tight range, pretty much unchanged everywhere, which is probably a relief because it was a little bit of a messy, ugly week, definitely a down week for stocks. What do you think is weighing on sentiment when it comes to U.S. equities? Well, there's a combination. Um, there's valuations is one question. This week, there's the China headlines. I mean, you, you, for the largest stock with Apple, uh, this question of is China going to ban more of their phones um, from being used in the government? Now, we, we have a colleague at Wisdom Tree who just spent the summer in China. She's got 20 family members in China. Some work in the government, some work outside the government. She thinks it was a, a big, a bit of an overreaction to the news that a lot of the people were already not buying the phones if you work for the government. So perhaps this is a a small marginal change. Now, the, the, the question with China generally is not going away. I mean, the tension we see is a decades-long tension. I mean, the only thing that's uniting U.S. politicians yeah. is to be anti-China, and so that, I don't see that going away. So I don't. I, I expect those kind of headlines to be tit for tat. I, I I don't see that going away easily. But the specific Apple news this week, where, which did cause a pretty big ripple on Apple, uh, we do think was a bit bit overstated. Yeah, I want I want to ask a little bit more about China in a minute, but it, it it seems like these stocks were kind of ready for some kind of headline to hit them, right? Where you whether you're looking at Apple, whether you're looking at Nvidia, there's just been so much concern about, especially when when it comes to Nvidia. You mentioned valuation, so much concern about the level, and yet so many people are afraid to get out of it or book profits or short it because every time they think about doing that, the thing goes up again. Um, are we going to continue to see, is this just a kind of like consolidation, normal type of pullback consolidation after the kind of gains we've seen? Or are we going to see that leadership start to crater? You're hearing more of the word bubble around NVIDIA. Um, it's been in the headlines this week, but from a few of uh, our, our uh, colleagues outside of Wisdom Tree even. I mean, I did this piece a few weeks ago. We had noticed NVIDIA became the most expensive stock in the S&P 500 uh, in March. It had sort of took the largest price to sales mantle. And so we started getting interested in saying at these levels of valuation, what does it take to succeed? What are the odds it continues to be a winner? And there's been about 100 different companies among the 500 largest that got to that top vaulted stock you know, status. And you know, what you find is in the next 12 months, they actually do okay. You know, um, on average, they've actually been able to keep up, slightly beat the market over 12 months. But when you go to the long term from that, it's been a real, real struggle. 
And so then we looked at not only just the highest multiple stocks, the S&P 500, we said, all right, at 25 times sales, which is their expected sales, not their trailing sales. Trailing sales was 40 times, but at 25 times even expected, what's the odds of success? There you got about 230 companies that got to that level. Um, and about 20% can outperform over the next 12 months, so about four to one odds against you from outperforming. But you go three, five, 10 years out, and we're talking 90% fail. So it's not good. I mean, it, and, and some of the, the average or median performance versus the market over the next three years is like down 20% a year. So we're talking wow. big, substantial underperformance. So my my sense is it's it's a very high hurdle for NVIDIA. Now, and I think the latest earnings report goes to exactly this question, right? They had another blowout earnings and the after hours trading spiked to 500, but it's not anywhere near 500 now. We're talking 10% down from the, that immediate response, even after a blowout earnings number. And, yeah. you know, so it, it shows you that even dramatically beating these high expectations is not enough. And, and so I think... I did a, a follow-up piece to that, sort of looking back through history, say, who were the winners? Who were some of these other high multiple companies? And I compared it to Cisco. You're seeing that comparison to Cisco come up a lot. We're not the only ones. But uh, we did a, a piece saying, NVIDIA, does it remind you of Cisco or Amazon? Mm. Um, you know, Amazon also was one of the higher multiple stocks going back 20 years ago. It was able to deliver 30% sales growth a year for two decades. I mean, that's an unbelievable track record. But it was 12 times sales back in 2000. And, you know, you're more than what? You're triple that at, in the sort of trailing sales number. Um, but I, it doesn't feel to me that it's like Amazon. It feels to me more like Cisco. Cisco was the infrastructure for the Internet. The Internet exploded wildly, mm -hmm. probably beyond anybody's imaginations 20 years ago. And so it delivered that hype. And Cisco, yes, was a key infrastructure and, a, and the leader back in 2000, but there was so much competition because of all the growth. And so I think that is what, where you're at with NVIDIA today. AI is going to be undoubtedly critically important. We're going to see AI explode everywhere, but NVIDIA probably won't be the only chip company going after it. And so there'll be competition and that'll eat into its sales growth, which will make it tough. Yeah. I think that's so interesting to look at, at it that way because the the narrative that everyone gets caught in is, you know, this explosion of AI, which, you know, many people, you don't hear them batting that down. You know, there are a lot of people who say, yes, absolutely. This is a revolution. It's going to be massive. We're just wrapping our head around it. So that can be real. But when you look at it through the lens that you just mentioned going back in history, we know that that's happened before. And we certainly the internet is a great example. So it kind of enables you to look at it removing that narrative, you know, or, or comparing against other things that were also transformational to see if you can survive that. Someone also pointed out with Amazon, um, you know, it started out as a bookseller, right? It's, it's not even remote. I mean, yes, there are still books on Amazon, but it basically turned itself into a completely, a multitude of other companies. So it's not like it was the original business model that 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 you know persevered and was able to to re return all of that you know it's it's a completely different beast now um so that almost sounds like it doesn't you know doesn't even fit or count if you're measuring against that so it could nvidia do that yeah that's sure but it would have to it sounds like in order to to get in that very rarefied group of companies that are able to do that 
to, to deliver the growth expectations needed to justify that and see where it sales, you know, where the valuation settles out in the long run. It's always tricky from the, just the higher the multiple, the higher you got to deliver. Um, and in the short run, I mean, you can understand this. Hey, it's the prime AI stock. You know, there's very few who are captive, captivating the moment like it does. Uh, but I do think there will be more competition for it over time. And um, it, it, it doesn't feel like it has as many tangential businesses like Amazon had yeah. where it expanded. But now, of course, you don't see it today. I mean, it, all these things can come up and it might find its way into a whole lot of new markets. And, you know, it, it obviously has this software element that's what's driving the chips. That is perhaps that leads into all sorts of other new things that we can't anticipate today. There's obviously a lot of potential for that. You, ne you never know where these twists and turns go. But I've got nine to nine to one odds against it in terms of it being an outperformer over ten years. Um, it's going to be important because it's in so many people's portfolios right now, you know, or or investments or four hundred ones. I mean, this stock is everywhere. So many people are holding it. And we get a lot of questions: Do I continue to hold on to it? Should I sell? People are so torn about it. It's it's a tough one. It's you you, you need to see into the future. None of us can do that. Um, so you're 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 banking on the fact that this thing is is. It's going to move lower, though. Does it take the whole market with it? Well, I'd say, or, or is it going to move lower, or just not go higher? And one, my my say was on: Does it out underperform the S and P? So when I said fail, you know, it's going to. I think you could get better returns nine to one against you. You know, better returns by just buying an index. Um, now you can say, hey, I want AI. I, I still believe in the power of AI. Do I have to buy Nvidia? You know, there's all there's other ways to do that. I mean, we even have a, an ETF WTAI that's sort of more diversified. It only has a few percent in NVIDIA versus a number of them could have 10% or more. Um, you obviously wouldn't have 100% if you're just buying NVIDIA. So there's other ways to play the theme without relying on that single stock. Um, now, you know, that's not certainly the cheapest segment of the market. Some people are looking at the NASDAQ and the Qs as another way to do it. Um, you know, when I look at valuations for that segment, we, we see the S&P slightly below 20 times earnings. I see tech, which is about 40% of the S&P 500, is probably in the 27 to 28 times earnings, uh, when the, the X tech uh, is about 17 times, um, so about 10 points lower, which is, you know, and, 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 and dividend stocks may be in the 15 times. So you, you, there's definitely ways, cheaper ways to own the market Tech, I think, is expensive generally, but you know you understand it's captivated the moment. Uh, there's yeah. no question it, it's it's symbolic of all the growth that, that people are are looking for. Does it feel like we can get rotation into other areas, or if we lose that tech leadership, is that a sentiment barometer, and we're looking at an overall weaker equity market? Well, you're seeing some of it. I mean, energy was so weak to start the year; it's picked up, and you know I, I I'm not. Fully just looking at the, the the charts, but you can see it's breaking towards uh, interesting levels. Uh, I, I happen to think energy plays a unique role in portfolios. It's it's a hedge against a lot of these other inflationary dynamics that could be a cause for rates to stay higher for longer. And, and you know, last year was like the perfect hedge as the, one of the few sectors with very strong returns when bonds and stocks sold off. I, I think you started to see that in the last few weeks where energy was going higher, markets were going lower. Um, so I, I, there are sectors that could do well, um, like energy, that that might be a pocket of strength, even in a down market. In, in particular, because you can you can see energy 
creating some of the inflationary dynamics that causes the Fed to be tighter that then gives the market more angst. Um, so that's one in particular. But if if tech is meaningfully lower, it's 40% of the S&P. So that's it's tricky for the whole market to overcome 40%. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I think we all know by now, things are pretty fucked out there for most of us. You see, whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices, or wages that never go up, it's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series, How to Unfuck Your Future. So we're going to do it again, March 11th, March 22nd. We'll discuss the problems at hand, no holes barred, and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future. It just costs a dollar to join Real Vision to get access to all of this content. Go to realvision.com forward slash the future. I'll see you there. Let's unfuck your future together. Yeah, no, yeah. exactly, exactly, because there's so much concentration. This is what many had been worried about when you have such narrow leadership. Um, by the way, I, I just happened to be, be looking, we were talking about it being a very kind of thin, very uh, range-bound day. We did get the major U.S. indices managed to creep up into the green right at the, right at the close. Um, but it's still very marginal and it doesn't really change up the, the week that much. So interestingly, um, when we were talking about Apple and the issue of chips as well, the G20 meeting is taking place in New Delhi this weekend. Um, notably absent is the Chinese president, Xi Jinping. And I didn't realize, I just read someplace today, it's the first one he hasn't attended since he took over leadership. Um you know, uh, back in 2012. So, so that's interesting. A lot of people trying to trying to read the tea leaves there. But um, no, undoubtedly, uh, if they're talking about the economy, um, chips, trade, and China are, are going to come up whether they're there or not. Um, what's your feeling about what's happening in the Chinese economy? Is weakness in China a problem for global growth for other countries? Well, they are. <sighs> There's no question they're slowing down from their historical growth rates, and we're not overly optimistic on their local growth. Um, it's also not, I'd say, the words we were using on a on, on discussion earlier today was trudging along. It's, it's sort of going, you know, the real estate sector, we're kind of bearish on. Um, I'd say, you know, it, there's there's been a lot of talks. Will they stimulate? Will they come back to support all their local developers? We actually see a number of bankruptcies coming. Um, there yes, there'll be some that survive, but um, there's been some high profile things from Evergrande to Country Garden, all these things recently. And then what are they going to do to to overcome that? And there were some pops actually this week on on some hopes that they might stimulate. Words we're getting is that basically the governments, the local governments are tapped out. They, they were making, you know, part of the stimulus that came in the past was from land sales. They're not doing the land sales now. So they actually, the local governments don't have the capacity to really significantly stimulate. So that real estate issue has has overhangs across all sorts of things. When you don't build as much, you don't use as much commodities, and it's a little bit less infrastructure. So that, that has some down implications. But the local consumer, when you look at their consumption story, you know, the, the word that we have from our, our client was just there throughout the summer, visiting nine cities across the country. Restaurants were still packed. People were still out traveling and consuming. Mm. 
So there's a good local consumption story, but less of that real estate-led infrastructure, housing-led boom. Um, the, you know, there's the, a chart going around today across Twitter, and I even saw it on TV today, was, you know, Mexico imports to the U.S. is now overseeing China imports to the U.S. So that, that trade, global trade dynamics is tricky. I mean, that, that comes back to that, how we started with Apple, that the concern with Apple was selling less iPhones to mm. their local government. Um, that tension with the U.S. just is, isn't going away. And so I, I think its role for global, particularly with the U.S.-China relationship, just has going to have a longstanding issue. And, yeah. and so I think that to be an overhang on some level. Um, and I think you're going to see more people think about investing emerging markets ex-China. That's one of the things that we think is a, a natural conversation is that people should be thinking about China separately. You know, you know, now you could say, hey, when people start saying China's uninvestable, that's when I think there's a good value story. I mean, I remember thinking that when oil back in pandemic was going negative, oh, you can't invest in oil. That was one of the best times to buy oil. So I'm sensitive to that narrative and being part of that narrative. Because I say, I'm saying, hey, you probably should think about EMX China. Um, and, but I do think that's probably a longer term allocation to be thinking about is being a little bit more cautious on China, thinking more about who benefits from moving away and, and who, as a, as a country, you look, you talk about G20 being in India. I think yeah. India is one of the prime beneficiaries. I think India is playing off the China news very well. Um, you know, they're buying discounted Russian oil, but still being a big ally of the US. And so they're benefiting from a lot, from some of this geopolitical tension by playing both sides. They're, they're definitely got their own tensions with China. Uh, they've got some of their own border disputes. Um, but they, again, they're navigating all these sort of complex geopolitical issues pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I was I was going to point out that it is uh, it is telling, and some people think it might be because of those tensions. Um, that might be one of the reasons Xi Jinping isn't um has decided to skip it. Um, I'm sure it's much more complex than that. Um, but but it is interesting and a good reminder that you really have to if you're thinking about investing in emerging markets or a fund, you, you really need to check the holdings because a lot of them are heavily weighted. Um, with a couple of countries. And so if you're looking to do something or avoid a certain country, you need you really need to sort of drill down and make sure that you understand what's in that, what's in that ETF. So from China to the US, so we've been asking people, we've been talking about this for the last few weeks, but there doesn't seem to be much agreement in terms of what's happening. And you see them, you've seen yields ricocheting all around because of that. Is the economy slowing down? Are we hitting a sweet spot, kind of Goldilocks type thing? Or is there a recession or is it too hot? You know, and what's the Fed going to do in response to all of that? We've been asking people for their outlook and you can see even this week still opinion remains very divided. Let's have a listen to some of the highlights from this week's conversations. I think that there's very high risk for a major deceleration of growth uh, into this uh, next couple quarters here. And if that's the case, uh, while you know, a lot of people think that that's going to have an immediate effect on inflation, I actually think inflation could be uh, the actual thing that could be driving uh, lower growth over time. Uh, you know, I come from the chemical industry and I can tell you, uh, I've been in this game you know, decades rather than, than years. 
and I've never seen the industry so bad. All I'm basically trying to say is if what's currently happening in the data and has been happening in the data for the past four or five quarters continues to happen over the next four to five quarters, we will be having a soft landing in the U.S. economy. And this is exactly what Jay Powell outlined at the beginning of the tightening cycle. So if we do soft land this plane, he's, he's going to be very deserving of a big standing ovation, and I will certainly give him one. I should point out, and Darius did talk about this, um, a soft landing is not Darius's base case, but he's just pointing out um, and has been pointing out that the economies remain stronger and more resilient than a lot of people thought. So you have to sort of ratchet up the probability that they might be able to land, uh, hit that soft landing. Um, by the way, because of that divided opinion, just so you all know, starting Monday, September 11th, for two weeks, we are going to be going on a journey of discovery with some of the best investors and thinkers. We've got Juliet Clark, um, Cuppy, Harris Kupperman, Beth Kindig, David Rosenberg, Liz, on, Liz Ann Saunders, uh, Dave, uh, Michael Howell, and many more. We're putting it all to them. Is this a crash or a boom? And how can you profit from what's coming next? So we're going to try to sort of wade through the differences and figure out what's going on. Is it a matter of time frame? Are they looking at different things? Where are the best probabilities and where are the best opportunities? So um, keep an eye out on your calendars and we'll keep you up to date when all of those uh, programs are coming out. So Jeremy, where are you kind of in this discussion? What do you see happening with the US? Can, can the US skirt a recession? I mean, we've certainly upgraded our views. Uh, we were count us in the group that was surprised. We thought there'd be more job losses, more rise in unemployment than we've experienced. We thought the Fed was being too tight. We'd actually like them to have stopped raising rates already. We're in the camp that inflation is much lower than the official statistics. Like we have our own inflation data point that basically takes the official CPI but substitutes What's happening in the case shiller housing data, Zillow rent for the official shelter inflation, which is officially 7.8% for the last 12 months. In more real-time indicators, only 1%. And wow. so when you, That's plug a big in, difference. when you plug in that number, I have a headline inflation of only 60 basis points instead of 3%. And I have a core inflation of 1.6 instead of 4.7. So my numbers say, hey, the Fed is on target. They're done. Inflation is under control. So like when you have that worldview and you say, oh, the Fed's way too tight, well, that's saying, oh, well, they should be creating more unemployment if they're that restrictive. And they're, they haven't actually. So it, it, we, we sort of upgraded the assessment of where is the longer term rate going to settle. Um, you know, we might have thought the something like our 10-year TIPS bond might have gone back to 50 basis points or 1%. We're at almost 2% this week, which is, you know, you were at negative one and a half uh, mm. before the bond bear market in 2022. Um, but so there's been a huge increase in real rates. That is becoming a better opportunity for the bond market and, and for longer-term bond investors. But you can say we've navigated through it without creating the recession. And now you can say, is are you just waiting for things to sharply drop off and it's still coming? Um, and and you know it won't surprise you because you do see it, the economy generally slowed when you raise rates this fast and this high. You know now you say who's faced the brunt of these high rates? Really, nobody has, right? In, in some ways, um, people refinance their mortgages at low rates, so it's hurting the new home buyer, but. 
there's a lot of people, the transactions are down. So if you're a new home buyer, you're really out of luck. But um, a lot of the people we find at low rates, companies had extended maturities. I'd say that the most pain has been in if you're in the startup community or you had to raise capital, that's the people who face the pain because it's a very different dynamic to raise capital. If you're if you're still trying to make it, um, the refinancing levels have been hard. But if you had extended maturities, you were fine. Um, so short story is we've upgraded what's possible and definitely have been a little bit surprised on, on how resilient we've been. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Why do you think that's happening? Is there something different going on? Is it is it all the fiscal, uh, you know, stimulus that we saw that's just kind of making its way, and it's just hard to to sort of figure out the balance between the tightening and the fiscal? Do we know what's happening? Because so many, almost everyone's been surprised by this. Well, one one thing that's also that we expected coming into the year. Uh, that we said we, we, we might help us keep a positive real GDP, even if we had declining employment, was a big rebound in productivity. We and we got official productivity numbers again, and that was there's been a big rebound this year because last year was a disaster. And so part of the reason why you're getting pretty good estimates is we're going to hire. Last year we had like five million workers, but very subdued real GDP. This year we're going to hire half as many workers, but have maybe twice the real GDP. So the productivity doing well is certainly one of the things helping the economy. Certainly the fiscal side, um, the money in people's checking accounts coming out. Now there's questions of are people running out of all those stimulus money and the pandemic money that was in the system. Is, is that coming towards an end? Maybe you got the student loan debt relief coming, rolling off. You have now we're coming back to school. Uh, we're back to four o'clock on on Real Vision here. <laughs> As you get back to these, you know, back to school times, this this time of year has been a challenging time for a lot of the markets. Um, it's a um, so it, it'll be interesting to see if some of that pain still is yet to just be felt of the higher rate pain. But you just haven't seen the higher rates matter. And and what you do know is that it does increase borrowing costs. It does eventually show up. It's just where and when. Yeah. Uh, So what about the banking sector? So the Fed, first of all, what do you think the Fed's going to raise again? I mean, if you were thinking that they should be lowering it because inflation, presumably somebody at the Fed must also be looking at the more real-time indicators as you are. Does the Fed go again? Well, it's it's good to hear that the San Francisco Fed did do a piece basically on very similar topic as us and showed the shelter inflation is going to decline meaningfully next year. And that could it be be negative um, in in one of their charts showing? So they they are looking. There are definitely people at the Fed looking at similar data points, and you're hearing more balanced conversation. It's very possible the Fed is done hiking. I mean, I think that's our views that they're done. Um, uh, there's obviously some there who would like them to go again, uh, and you heard some narratives on that. But it's very possible they can sit back and watch the data come their way. Um, But, but but we shall see if that that actually you know happens. Um, but in terms of the banking dynamics, my worry there is 
most of the banks can't afford to pay you what you could get in treasuries, right? You know, you could put your mm-hmm. checking account to get five and a half percent in treasuries with no risk. Banks really, they have too much deposits to do that. So there's, you know, the, the technology is there so that you don't have to just keep your money in the bank. I and mean, there, there's so much more things we're working on solutions where you can basically pay your bills from type treasury type exposures. And the banks just can't do that because they can't afford to pay the five and a half percent. So I think the banks are going to struggle in some ways. You can say, hey, they, they've fallen so much. Are they now cheap? Are they a value opportunity? And I, I just wouldn't be rushing into the banks in that sense is that I still think there's profitability questions. I think their cost of funding still goes up. I still think people will sweat their checking accounts a little bit harder than they have historically. Um, obviously, now I've got a horse in that race. I'm trying to get people to do that <laughs> at Symphony Prime. But I think there's I think that pressure is going to be real. Um, and so I, I, I do think the technology, all you see people advertising on TV is 5% yields in yeah. other places. And so it's it, the banks are so far from 5%. Um, you know, you, you've had Jim Bianco on a lot. He talks about the bank walk. We talked yep. about the bank walk. These are pressures that are still coming because the banks can't afford to pay you more than zero. If that's the case, um, I mean, you know, banking and the banks are pretty critical to the running of the economy, or, or at least they were. Um, does that cause a more systemic problem if we continue to see this weakness in banks, or is this something that the system can deal with and it's just sort of evolution and innovation? Well, I think we've the the they've they've prevented some of those bank runs and put confidence in the system of we're not going to let the depositors fail. So, you know, right after Silicon Valley Bank, there was questions, you know. What, do I got to move my money because they're not going to save the deposits? Well, they let the shareholders fail, but they didn't let the depositors fail. And now there's there was some awkward quotes from Janet Yellen. You know, if you're a small community bank, are you going to get the same treatment as the the systemically important banks? Um, and so they they didn't have a great answer to that question. But I think most people assume the depositors are safe. They should make that formal instead of just this presumption. Yeah, um, they should up the the FDIC insurance limits. But, you know, again, there's people, there's ways to protect by not doing that. You could get treasuries and get five and a half percent instead of being uninsured in a, in a bank. So I think that that goes back to my longer term challenge for the traditional banks who just are relying on their customers saying, Hey, I need to pay checks. So I'm going to be happy keeping in a, in an account earning zero. Yeah. That's not going to work over the long run. There's, you know, as many of our viewers know, there's been disruption coming, and I think it's, you know, the pace of that is is certainly picking up. Um, We'll we'll end with a question from Paul. Late September returns for the S&P 500 are historically terrible, and the Fed meeting is the 20th. Are you taking any action to position for defense? You know, we manage a bunch of model portfolios at Wisdom Tree, and we do have, and some of those have went to some lower volatility strategies uh, in some of the allocations. So we had sort of called de-risked a little bit. Some of the things we moved away from small caps towards sort of lower volatility in, in some of those models. I mean, the way we build ETFs are systematic. So in all the individual ETFs, you can't do anything like that. Um, so we're, but in our in our model portfolio business, we did take a little bit of, of de-risking um, a little bit earlier. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it's a, that's that that September is very consistent with stuff we put in stocks for long run. We have a seasonal pattern that shows September is one of the the worst months throughout the year. So that is just something we're watching, um, and and we'll see how how this September goes. Yeah. It's always tough. We all we all brace for it. <laughs> well, we're through the first eight days, so and counting. So we're almost there. Jeremy, it's always fantastic to catch up with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Maggie. Good to be Happy back. Happy Friday. You. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks to all of you. Remember, we got the content campaign coming up. We'll be telling you a lot more about it, as well as some really exciting developments. Some of you are going to start to see them soon. So stay tuned. Have a great weekend, everyone. Take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.